Welcome to another edition of the official Jets podcast powered by Amazon Web Services. Ethan Greenberg, Eric Allen. Today we're joined by Matt Mayoko, the 49ers insider for NBC Sports Bay Area. We're talking about Mike LaFleur is in focus, but because of all the connections that the Jets and 49ers have, we kind of touched on a number of people, including head coach Robert Sala. Well, you got to jump around if you're talking to somebody who's covered the 49ers for more than a quarter century. A phenomenal guest. Uh, gave us tremendous information. Uh, you know, we talked about Albrick at length last week with D. Orlando Ledbetter of the Atlantic Journal-Constitution. Now Matt was able to tell us about the trek of Mike LaFleur, and he's been tied with Kyle Shanahan throughout his NFL career. Actually started out as an intern with the Cleveland Browns when Shanahan was there. Of course, Shanahan becomes the offensive coordinator with Atlanta, and LaFleur follows him there. Interestingly enough, um, LaFleur worked on the same staff there in Atlanta with his brother, Matt LaFleur, who is now, of course, the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. And then he's been with Shanahan ever since with the San Francisco 49ers. Um, so Robert Sala, when he got this job, boom, he brings LaFleur with him and brings the Shanahan offense to New York. And LaFleur is very young. And he's never called plays before, but Matt Mayoko had great insight. He was inside the quarterback's room at the Senior Bowl when the 49ers coached the Senior Bowl in 2019. And he has some great insight about what LaFleur is like, what Coach Sala is like, and a couple other members on the Jets staff as well. I don't want to give too much away, but it was I would say it's a positive review overall. And I think and you tell me if you disagree with this, but it feels like Mayoko is confident in LaFleur being the offensive coordinator for the Jets, not only because of LaFleur and what he brings to the table, but because of the staff that's around LaFleur as well. Oh, yeah, and that speaks to why is Robert Sala here, because he is the CEO, and he surrounded himself with very good men, and a lot of those guys came directly from San Francisco, but uh, a lot of ties um, to Sala in that coaching staff. But again, these guys, um, I think, are known for their work ethic and they're known for bringing a culture with them. And that's going to be instituted throughout the Jets building and on the field. And Michael Fleur, while he might be young in years, he knows this offense inside and out. He's got a presence, and we know Robert Sala's got a presence. <laughs> that is for sure, and Coach Sala did say that nobody knows this Kyle Shanahan offense better than Mike LaFleur. And with that, let's actually hear from Matt Mayoko. When you heard that Robert Sala had accepted the Jets job, were you surprised at all that Mike LaFleur was tabbed to be his offensive coordinator? Not one bit. No, not at all. I kind of figured that that was the way it would go. It, it, it was, to me, it was a, a lot more of just where would Robert Sala end up? I mean, I mm. think everybody here felt like he was going to be a head coach. It was just a matter of where. And the one team that I always kind of looked at was the Detroit Lions because of just the, the connections there to the Detroit area for Robert and also Mike LaFleur. Now, Matt LaFleur was Robert Sala and still is one of Robert Sala's best friends. I think they're best men in each other's weddings. I mean, they, they've known each other for a very long time. And so uh, Robert had that connection with the LaFleur family for quite some time. And you knew that 
the, the 49ers systems, both offensively and defensively, they're very sound. And you knew that wherever Salah would go, he would want to bring that kind of Kyle Shanahan kind of offensive system with him. And so Mike LaFleur was very much the, the person that you, you knew that he would be the guy that'd be tabbed as the guy who would have autonomy to, to install his offensive system. So in terms of LaFleur, I feel like at least a lot of Jets fans don't know a ton about him, mostly because he's so young and he's been under Kyle Shanahan for a long time. So what can you tell us about Mike LaFleur? Well, I mean, he, he's a, an energetic guy. He's, he's a good guy. He connects uh, well with players. I've seen him uh, at the Senior Bowl in, in 2019. He ran the quarterbacks meetings with the Senior Bowl quarterbacks. And that class, it was Gardner Minshew, uh, Will Greer was there, Jarrett Stidham and Tyree Jackson were the quarterbacks. So the 49ers were, were nice enough. Uh, Kyle Shanahan was nice enough to allow me to kind of have access in, in the meetings and watching. And so I, I did see just how he connects, how he stands at a board, commands the room. Very knowledgeable guy. Uh, you know, he's from a football family. His brother, as I mentioned, is Matt LaFleur, the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. So uh, yeah, I, I think it's been tremendous experience for him to have a little bit of coaching experience and then come into that Kyle Shanahan system and learn from from one of the best and what Kyle you know is considered one of the best play callers in the game and so Kyle never gave up the play calling aspect of it but what he did was he delegated to Mike LaFleur and Mike McDaniel, who is now the 49ers offensive coordinator. They did not have a you know offensive coordinator title with the team for four seasons, but it was Mike LaFleur and it was Mike McDaniel who would put together the game plan and then present the game plan for any given week to Kyle. They would go through it. Of course, Kyle Shanahan would have veto power and he would could add and subtract and do whatever. But the plays being called on game days were basically the collective effort of Mike McDaniel and Mike LaFleur. And I don't know if you even know this, but two years ago, whenever Matt LaFleur became the head coach of the Packers, he wanted Mike LaFleur, his own brother, on his coaching staff. And Kyle said, no, because <laughs> at that point, you know, teams were allowed to block coaches from coordinator positions. Now you can't block a non-coordinator from becoming a coordinator. So he couldn't block Mike LaFleur this time. And part of it was he felt like it was just going to be uh, Kyle Shanahan felt like it was just going to be a lateral move, you know, from from basically a non-play calling position to another non-play calling position. So he wouldn't have been able to block Salah because Mike LaFleur, that's going to be his offense. He's going to design it in, in knowing Mike, it's going to be a very collaborative effort with all the, the coaches on staff, including Greg Knapp, who I know pretty well. He's the passing game specialist there, of course. So it, it'll be a collaborative effort. Um, that, that Mike LaFleur will be involved with every step of the way. And it'll be his first time calling plays, certainly at this level. So it, it'll be interesting to see how he adapts to that. Listen, Matt, if anyone wants to know anything about the San Francisco 49ers, they come to you because you've been covering 
the 49ers for more than a quarter century. Now, with that being said, and Eric, I don't look that old, do I? No, you look great. <laughs> <laughs> you look great. I would say, Matt, though, how would you describe the Mike Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan system? Because I'm starting to call it this just, just the Shanahan system that yeah. Mike LaFleur is going to bring here to New Jersey and put his own imprints on it. But how would you describe how they go about trying to attack an opponent's defense? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And it's, it's multi-pronged. I think that, you know, so much of it is, you know, the, the outside zone running system. And we saw it with, with Mike Shanahan and with Alex Gibbs, the offensive line coach back in the day where they could just, it seemingly just plug in running backs and if you're on the team, you're going to get a thousand yards. And it was one after the other, after the other. Um, but so much of it is knowing the defense they're playing against and knowing the rules of the defense they're playing against and kind of st stressing them to test their rules. Well, one of the things that Kyle does is he doesn't want any standalone plays in a game plan. In other words, they're just not going to pick plays out of thin air and put them in a game plan and run them in games. There has to be a reason for them. So even if a play fails, you know, say a play gets, you know, running play gets thrown for a four yard loss, they don't consider it a negative play necessarily because that play is in there for a reason. And it's, it could be to set up another play down the road. Uh, and so it, it's, it really tests the defense by showing different you know, formations, motions. And, and even in the running game, you know, there are plays or actually in the running game or passing game, there are plays that start off, you know, the first split second of a play looks like maybe a play that was run in the first quarter but it's completely different. And if they can catch defenses cheating or anticipating, uh, that's what they're trying to do. And then the down, the other side of that is to create some indecision with the defense. You know, the teams, defensive teams that are able to diagnose a play from formation and, and the way a play starts out is one thing. But what they do is they test the defense by showing them the same looks on occasion or the same principles on occasion, but then give having switch ups that really expose the defense. So that, that's probably the main thing that, that that offense will will try to do and try to exploit against the defense they're playing. What kind of players or what type of players do you think fit this offense best? I know it's hard to project what exactly Mike LaFleur will do and how he'll throw in his own wrinkles, but in the Shanahan system and what you've seen, how would you describe the perfect players that fit in this system? Well, I mean, first off, I'd say smart and, and good character, uh, football character and, and off the field character. Um, I, I think that, you know, for each, I think athleticism is, is a big thing. And that goes for the offensive line as well. Uh, athleticism is a big thing for running backs. It, it's, you know, kind of guys who fit that zone blocking scheme of, of one cut and get up the field, kind of no nonsense running, uh, not a lot of dancing. Um, 
I think for for wide receivers, it's it's versatile guys, you know, guys who can run the the jet sweep and and um, you know can get open quickly against man coverage. And I mean, I think those are some of the principles, some of the the things that they'll be looking for as they build that thing out. Um, you know, guys that that are willing to be coached and uh, you know fit what they're looking for from that standpoint of, you know, athleticism is, is a big thing. And, you know, John Benton, the offensive line coach will, you know, he'll be hammering the, the same things, you know, they'll be working on the same drills from the first day of OTAs. If there are OTAs this year, all the way through the end of the season, you know, every practice, they, they just try to, you know, solidify the, uh, you know, the, the, the skills, uh, the techniques that they that has been so successful and really time tested through the years, and like you said, dating all the way back to Mike Shanahan's system with Denver and Washington, and basically everywhere Kyle has been, they've kind of had the same elements of being able to run the ball, use play action off of it, and he's had, you know, quarterbacks who've had really good seasons, whether he's with Houston. Uh, Cleveland, Washington, Atlanta, and now the 49ers. So perfect segue right there by the veteran covering the 49ers. Why is this a quarterback-friendly system? Think about Jimmy Garoppolo, 2019, starting 16 games for the first time in his career. They went 13 games, advanced to the Super Bowl, had a 10-point lead, unfortunately weren't able to close the deal there. And you go back to 2016 in Atlanta, and Matt Ryan was never better than that 2016 campaign. A lot of similarities, unfortunately, because Atlanta had that second-half lead, and they were unable to put the Patriots away. But quarterbacks have excelled in this system time and time again. Yeah, I, I think it's because they are coached up so well to know what to expect. You know, so much of being a quarterback in the NFL is anticipation and, you know, even knowing, maybe not knowing where to go with the ball pre-snap, but certainly knowing where not to go uh, with the ball pre-snap based on the kind of defense that that they're seeing in the, in the play call. So what Kyle is able to do or what Mike LaFleur will, will try to accomplish as well is to create situations where there are guys running wide open and it's if if they get the the defensive call uh their right defense against this play call this is going to happen and they they really do a good job of coaching up their their quarterbacks to look for to anticipate that you know if this safety is here this play over here is going to be wide open and so it's being able to use the elements of the running game, uh, setting things up. And I mean, a lot of time, you know, we see George Kittle all the time. It's kind of funny. You know, you sit up there and you're, you're watching the 49ers play and you kind of smirk and you go, hey, it might be a good idea for the, that defense to, to cover George Kittle. You know, he's a pretty good <laughs> It, but it, we see it time and time again, where just you know whether it's the the, the motions, the the routes they're they're running, how one route might be a clearing route to set something up underneath for another guy. You will see guys. I would I would venture to guess you will see guys from the first game of the season, you know, several times a game, just running wide open, 
and and you'll see defensive backs turning turning around and looking at each other and throwing their hands up going i thought you were supposed to be there i thought you were so th and that's what they do they really test the rules and really stress defenses in that way you mentioned greg knapp you mentioned john benton two assistant coaches now with the jets and that 49ers jets connection that is starting to establish i know we're talking about mike lafleur but what can you tell us quickly about knapp and benton well, yeah, John is is going to be, you know, I think they do all kinds of blocking schemes, but he's very much into the techniques of that zone, that outside zone. It, it's kind of the, the bread and butter, and he will be looking for, you know, they put a lot on the plates of, of their offensive linemen, the center, the guards, uh, to get out there, and, and they're very well schooled. So, you know, I, I would think that uh, you're going to see, you know, a, a dramatic uh, bump in production from the running game. You know, great nap. I know uh, he's, he's, he's worked with Peyton Manning. He's been in the league a long time, very good quarterbacks coach. Uh, and, and he's, he's just a, a, a good guy as well, relates to players. So it's a really, I, I really like that coaching staff. I mean, it's, it's a bunch of guys. We haven't even talked about the defensive side yet, but you know, there are, there are some, a good connection, a good combination, I should say, of guys who've, who've been around. Greg Knapp has been around for a while. You have Mike LaFleur, who can really lean on on Greg because Greg's been in that chair a lot in, in the past. You, you have uh, Taylor Embry. You have uh, Miles Austin. Uh, so you have this really good connection of, of guys who have experience and young guys and, and fresh ideas. So, um, yeah, I, I think Greg Knapp is, is one of these guys that uh, I kind of liken him to you know, a, a backup quarterback or, or a veteran quarterback who is there to really assist the, the young quarterback and in, in kind of uh, provide his knowledge to make the, the young quarterback better. I kind of see Greg in, in the same way because he's been through it all and he's seen a lot of different things in the so, NFL. So many different directions we can uh, go with you, Matt. So I'm going to throw two questions at you and they're not connected. Mm -hmm. uh, since you've covered the 49ers for so long, what do you think about Jeff Albrecht being named the defensive coordinator here a long time 49er linebacker, of course, drafted in 2000 out of Hawaii. And I believe he played there 10 seasons. Yeah. And then let's get to Robert Sala, the head coach of the New York Jets. Do you think that experience in San Francisco will really help him coming to New York, a team that won two games last year, considering what the 49ers did their first three seasons and totally remaking that roster, putting their systems in place, and then ultimately getting to a championship game in that third year? Yeah, I think so much of what Robert Sala will do is just, and, I, and I'm sure it's been said already a lot, and it almost becomes cliche, but talk about the culture inside the building. Well, it, it's going to take a while to get the culture the way he wants it. I mean, I, I think that, you know, anytime you see a, a coach or new regime come in, it takes them a while to kind of figure out both on the field, you know, schematically, and also just kind of in the locker room, which guys fit and which guys don't. And so that that takes a while to to kind of sort out. It's not something that just takes place overnight. But the thing I think that can take place overnight is the culture within the coaching staff. And I mean, looking at, at the staff that he's put together, 
I mean, that, that's a that's a really solid staff, and I would expect nothing less from from Robert Sala. And you know, he made his hay. You know, he got the opportunity. He got in the door with the Jets, and I think every team that had an opening except for the Houston Texans. I think they were the only team that did not interview him for a job. What got him in the door was the performance of the 49ers defense. In other words, what he did as a defensive coordinator. But that's not why I think he's going to be a good coach. And I don't think that's why he got the Jets job. I think he got the Jets job and he became a really good head coaching candidate because of his interpersonal skills and his vision for how he expects things to fit together. And, and so much of that is just have creating the right environment to in a winning environment. And from his standpoint, it doesn't mean, hey, I'm going to be the head coach, but I'm also going to be the defensive coordinator. He sees it as I'm I'm the head coach of the team and I'm going to oversee everything, but I'm not going to be coming, you know, I'm not going to be a micromanager for uh, Jeff Ulbrich and Jeff Ulbrich, one of the smartest players I've ever covered. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I remember when he was decided to retire uh, a few years back, I mean, he had already, you know, the last several years of his career, I mean, he was compiling like binders of information of what he would do as a coach and as a coordinator, you know, he had everything mapped out, you know, that, that he would do. So he's been preparing for this for a long time, even going back to his playing days. And so I see Robert Sala as somebody who will pop in the, the, the uh, offensive meeting room. He'll, he'll be in the defensive meeting room. He'll be there to, to uh, share ideas and offer suggestions or be there to answer questions. I, I'm sure Jeff will lean on him a lot, and, but I think it's, it's going to be a really uh, fascinating experience watching them perform because I think that, like I said, it's not so much the X's and O's that was impressive about Robert Sala. It was just how he managed people and how, in my mind, he really is a CEO type and somebody that, that people are going to want to coach for and players are going to want to play for. That was a fantastic breakdown. I feel like we've asked you about every single Jets assistant coach at this point, including the head coach and the offensive coordinator well, so we haven't and talked the defensive Aaron coordinator. Lightman. We haven't talked to uh, Mike Rudenberg. We haven't. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there's a couple that might hit the cutting room floor, which is okay. Because my last question to you, Matt is with free agency approaching the 49ers have a lot of players with expiring contracts. Who do you think makes the most sense for the jets? If they decide to go in that direction? Yeah, I think there are quite a few. I would put number one at that uh, on that list would be K1 Williams, a Nickelback, really good at what he does, and they call him the Shark here because he he's a little guy, but man, he plays with uh, some ferocity, and they can do a lot of different things with him. Robert Sala has a lot of trust in him because that is not an easy position. That might be the most difficult position on the defensive side playing. Uh, you know, a slot uh, receiver, the nickelback position. And he's a local guy there. I would think that the, that the well, the 49ers definitely want him back, but I think the Jets, that would be very high on their list. And somebody that he's not going to break the bank. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what 
the Jets would do if they would want uh, Richard Sherman. He's not coming back to the 49ers. And he's kind of in that spot, though, where he had some health issues. There might be a time uh, in the very near future where he can transition to safety. Uh, whether the Jets would want to do that, I don't know. But you're talking about a really good locker room guy, someone who's incredibly smart, knows the defense better than anybody. So he could really be an asset as far as uh, helping uh, the, the locker room kind of get ingrained into that that style. So those are two names uh, that definitely come to mind for guys that I would think the Jets would certainly go after Kwan Williams. It would shock me if they didn't. And then Richard Sherman would be a possibility as well. Final, final question here, um, <laughs> because you've been so good. You were in that room watching Shanahan work with the quarterbacks and Mike LaFleur. What I've heard about him so far early on in his Jets tenure is he really commands a room. Greens before talked about his age, but I don't think people view him as a guy in his young 30s, just as somebody who really knows the offense in and out and much like Salah is going to be working with the players to make them better. Yeah, no, I, I think he, he's got he's got the it factor. You know, he's. Yeah, he does have a command. He's very smart. He's he's you know, he speaks well. He's uh, you know, he's decisive. And, you know, the, when I'm sitting in a room, you know, they're they're talking a foreign language. Right. I mean, I really have no idea what they're talking about. But even not knowing, you know, the, the terminology, the, the playbook, um, the way he's able to explain things and relate things and and engage people. Um, no, I, I've just been really impressed with him. And I mean, there's a reason, you know, Kyle Shanahan put a lot on their plates, you know, put a lot on Mike LaFleur's plate. And you know, after year one, I think his, I think he came to the 49ers with maybe the title passing game specialist. Mm -hmm. And then after a year, uh, Kyle decided to give him a title change to passing game coordinator. So, you know, th it was, you know, ceremonial in some ways, but also, hey, I think of you as a coordinator. You're not the offensive coordinator, but I think of you as a coordinator. And I can tell you one thing. I mean, Kyle Shanahan is tough. You know, he's, he's tough on his players. He's tough on his coaches. He expects, you know, I don't know about perfection, but he expects a very high level of uh, of just being you know, competent and, and knowing your stuff. And so for Mike LaFleur to, to withstand you know, many years working with Kyle Shanahan probably tells you everything you need to know and just how important it was for Kyle while, while he had that opportunity to lock him in and make sure he didn't go anywhere. He made that uh, a priority is that Mike LaFleur is going nowhere until, you know, that time comes where I have to let him go and let him spread his wings. And now that time is here with the New York Jets. Great stuff from Mayoko. And we touched on free agency at the end of that interview. He mentioned Kwan Williams and Richard Sherman. Well, just real quick on free agency, we're recording. It's March 1st. So the legal tampering period. Well, first of all, it's crazy that it's March 1st. The we madness were, is here, Ethan. <laughs> the madness is here. We're approaching the one year anniversary of the day in which we were told that we were not going to come back to the office for the foreseeable future. 
That was March 13th of last year. I remember getting the email. It was Friday the 13th. You're good with that. So for people at home to give some more insight on who you are after we did the bio blast on Michael Fleur and find, found out more information on him, uh, Ethan is the kind of guy who will oh park his car at One Jets Drive and visually can remember every license plate on the business side. <laughs> That's very impressive. I don't know about every single license plate, but there, there are some license plates up here. I've been well, called occasionally as the rain man of the license plate. Well, let's give some context because I think the one day I was filling something out, like, I don't know my <laughs> license plate number. Yeah. And I, you I, randomly jumped in my office and you just, you just throw it out there. And yeah. I was stunned. Yeah. Well, my favorite story is one of our former coworkers was staying at a hotel and he wanted to valet his car and he was at the, concierge desk and needed his license plate so instead of remembering it or going out to his car he texted me and said hey what's my license plate number and i gave him his plate number and then you know his car went in the valet system but can i just tell you that's wild and i always have my iphone out when i'm near my daughter uh, here i'm going to bring this all together we're going to connect things because she's always doing fun things she's at that age and the other day, I was she was running around the house talking, what well, kind of getting some words out now, but it, she, she just took me around the entire house, and she knew instinctively knew that I was looking for my glasses, and she turned around, she picked up the glasses off the floor, which I didn't know where the glasses were. were no like, way. Here, here you go. <laughs> oh, seriously, that's yeah, amazing. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the point here is that you're that guy with some things but like people need it and they need a visual like <laughs> you can come up with things sometimes and i'm like wow where did that come from <laughs> thank you so with that being said we're approaching the one year COVID anniversary at one jets drive which is not an anniversary to be celebrated because hopefully things are coming back to normal we're on the upswing or at least i hope so Dude, and, we got to get back in the studio. I mean, yeah. This is just too long. This yep. is too long. Yeah, I will say I do like the no commute to and from work, I but I, I'm ready. I'm ready to be back in the saddle at the BetMGM studio. <laughs> With that being said, free agency is St. Patrick's Day, March 17th. But two days before that, it opens the legal tampering period. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because next week we're going to break down free agency a little more we're going to hear from robert sala and joe douglas later this week so we'll have more of an update to provide in terms of the happenings at one jets drive and maybe what types of players the jets are going to be looking for in free agency but it's coming right around the corner we've talked about how important this offseason is for the jets with the financial flexibility with the draft capital and the first stage the first big stage of the offseason is about to be underway in the blink of an eye it's almost cliche to call it a critical off season because we say that every year, right? So it's critical for everybody. And there's only one team who's crowned champions, but for the jets, this really feels like the start of a new era because you do have Joe Douglas in place who had his first draft and first free agency period last year. So this will be a second, but this is his first with Robert Sala and a new offense coordinator, Mike LaFleur, new defensive coordinator, Jeff Albrecht. Of course, um, Sala retained special teams coordinator, Brant Boyer. 
Yeah, I, I thought it was really cool on, since we've been talking about the Jets coaching staff. How about Leon Washington coming back, uh, former Pro Bowl player for the Green and White? A couple years ago, he told Randy Lang that he wanted to get involved in coaching. Who would have thought a couple years later after seeing him at Jets' house, now Leon Washington's going to be making home at our place once again. I used to love Leon at, mm-hmm. when, when I was growing up and – I love Leon watching him as a player, as a kick returner. I think it was him that I don't, I don't know why I have this. I mean, it's stuck in my mind. There was a kickoff and Mike Westoff was the special teams coordinator at the time. And it was like a little dribbler on the sideline and Leon stuck one foot out of bounds, yep. picked up the ball. And sure enough, there was a flag on the play and the jets got the ball on their own 40. You know what? Um, it's funny. Uh, Andrew Agro, who works in corporate sponsorships with the Jets, he always brings up that play because that oh, really? just, yeah, that just gives you a little bit of light on Leon, who he was as a player. I mean, how many guys in the National Football League knew they could take advantage of that rule like Leon did? And he was the ultimate team player. So when we talk about building a culture here, he's the perfect fit because Leon did a little bit of everything. He could run it. He could catch it. He was a very good special teams player. Any role he was asked to do, he thrived in. And he was a well-liked dude in the locker room. I also think, Ethan, you grew up in New York. He was a fan favorite for you and I think a lot of other people. So uh, intelligent, heady guy, and I think he's going to help the culture out. Um, so uh, very much looking forward to now what the Jets do in free agency preceding the draft because we'll dive into it a lot deeper next week um, as we preview free agency and then we look ahead to the draft. You're continuing to do that with the Athletics Dean Brugler with the podcast and some editorial as well. But uh, yeah, it is a critical off season, um, but the jets have a lot of flexibility. Um, but let's remember, and we'll get into it more next week. Again, it's all about draft and developing. And mm-hmm. I think the jets have a staff that is going to help these players, a young roster really develop. And LaFleur is one of those guys. Very well said. And I won't I won't say anything more about free agency because I will bite my tongue for next week's episode. And that's how we closed out this episode of the official Jets podcast powered by Amazon Web Services. Next week, we're talking free agency.